0: Well, good morning, church. Really love you, and I really miss you. Um, If you haven't listened to the teaching from two weeks ago— it was kind of an involved update about where we are at as a church in terms of our Sunday morning corporate gatherings together. Um, definitely, uh, if you haven't listened, go uh, listen to that. And, and really, the, the, the pertinent point there is we are together as a leadership waiting um, until we have this sense that we can say it seems good and right to the Holy Spirit and to us for us to begin our Sunday gatherings. In the meantime, we um, are really excited. Our building is ready, it's prepared, and we're gonna begin to um, have smaller group gatherings. We have, um, as you you heard in the announcements, uh, we have some youth stuff coming and we'll have have uh, our building available for men's and for women's. And um, so if you have any questions, please reach out to us, email us, um, please pray for us. And um, we are excited. I am so longing um, to see your faces and to worship Jesus together, to hear one another's voices uh, in worship. Um, Honestly, prayer point, pray that the next step that the state of California comes out with in terms of guidance for California is they um, allow us to sing. I obviously, they don't have a right necessarily to keep us from singing, but we want to be above reproach and honor whatever guidelines are out there. And so the one that I'm really longing for is just to hear our voices together corporately lifting up the name of Jesus. So be praying for that. Be praying for our our government that um, they will um, wisely um, allow us to sing in the right time, so um, what we 're going to be doing this morning is listen, we know that it has been um, a very tumultuous couple of weeks in our nation, and last week uh, we just looked at what does the Bible have to say about justice and it, as it is the, the, the foundation of the throne of god and, and we wanted to, to begin to, to shape our minds around that, and we will continue um, as the weeks and months and years go on to, to consider God. What do you have for us as it, as it comes to loving our neighbor and caring for the poor and the oppressed and the widow among us? What does reconciliation look like um, as, as people who have been reconciled to God? What does that look like? So that conversation's not over by any means. Um, and, and what I'm what I'm really excited for us to do together this morning, honestly, this is this text has been waiting um, as. We have had different updates and whatnot. And, and I, I really believe this is what the Lord has. I know this is what he has for us as a church um, is we're gonna get back in the, the gospel of John, John chapter six. And this text, uh, verses we'll cover verses 35 to 40. This text in John chapter six um, is gonna speak to eternity past and all the way to eternity future about God's plan to save the world, to save his bride um, and, and what he's done to accomplish that. And what we have is anchors for our soul to trust and to look forward to. So um, these are some really like settling verses. These are verses in a world that if, if we're in a boat that's a storm, these are like anchors that will rest the boat that will still it no matter what is going on around us. So this, this text will be so helpful for us together as we look at these promises, these declarations Jesus has made. So open with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We will read verses 35 to 40. The title of this sermon is, In Good Hands. John chapter six, verses 35 to 40. Let's read these verses and pray. Verse 35, 36, they're a bit of a recap, but they'll be helpful for context. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these precious promises. These are not just something we we hope may happen. These are the words of God. You will come again. You will bring your people home. You will keep us in your firm grip. There is hope for this world. There is good news in a world where we are constantly bombarded with headline after headline of bad news. Your church has good news. So Holy Spirit, would you help me just to be faithful, to um, help us look together at your word and would your spirit use the word of God, the sword of the spirit, to bring more people in and to bring comfort to your church this morning. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done, and what you have for us. Uh, in this text, it's in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, in John six, we are actually beginning the third year of the ministry of Jesus. John moves quick, um, and we're already in the third year of the ministry of Jesus, and the disciples of Jesus—they're eh, enjoying a season of great popularity. John six is really the, the peak of the popularity of Jesus. They're enjoying, I mean, they just watched Jesus feed a crowd of tens of thousands of people. And then he just walked across the sea and they're just like, who is this man? He is amazing and crowds are flocking to him and people are trying to make him king. If you were a disciple of Jesus at this time, you were enjoying some great momentum in this religious movement. People were seeing miracles with their own eyes. People were hearing the words of Jesus with their own ears. They had the miraculous bread Jesus provided in their own bellies. Like this was the height of the popularity of Jesus. And by the end of John chapter six, by the end of this conversation Jesus has, with the crowds, Um, the majority of the crowds and the majority even of those who were following Jesus called his disciples walked away. John 6 is the beginning of the end, so to speak, and the end being the cross. John 6 is where Jesus goes from this immensely popular, wildly, widely popular leader and where he begins to lose momentum, so to speak, and lose popularity. And when animosity against him begins to build. And as we know, this will all end with these very same people saying, crucify him. Now, imagine what the disciples would be thinking as they witnessed this great popularity begin to dwindle. Imagine what they would be thinking if if the very people of God, the Jewish people, God's chosen people could with their own eyes see the Messiah and with their own ears hear the teaching of the Messiah and with their own mouths taste the miraculous bread of the Messiah. If God's own people would reject Jesus, imagine what what they would be thinking. And if that could happen to these people, what does that mean for us? For us in this world, in the 21st century, when the world is going mad and there is just brokenness everywhere, if Jesus couldn't even hold a crowd of of his own people, what does that mean for the church today, 2,000 years later? And it's in this context, in the middle of this context that Jesus pauses as he's explaining what it means that he's the bread of life. He takes a pause and he addresses the unbelief of the Jews. In verse 36, he says, I told you these things. You've seen these things, but you don't believe. And so in the very midst of the unbelief of the crowd, Jesus speaks the words of verses 37 to 40. And they're like, a, they're like this pause where Jesus is saying, but don't you worry. Disciples, don't you worry. Christian, don't you be afraid. And he says in these verses these three anchors for the soul, these three profound truths that anchor a Christian into promises Jesus has made. When the world is going crazy, when the world is denying and rejecting Jesus, Jesus gives us these three anchors, these three truths. Now, We'll walk through them um, as we work through the verses. The first anchor comes in verse 37. And the first truth is this. You, Christian, you began in the Father's hands. In a world that's going crazy and in a context where people are rejecting Jesus, Jesus pauses and he says, you essentially sums it up saying, you began in the Father's hands. Look with me at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. He's saying that every Christian, that the church, all, the the whole collective unit of all those who will ever come to jesus all the father gives me they began in the hands of the father and the church was a gift from god the father to god the son you christian began in the father's hands there's so many uh, texts and I want to read them all and I, and I won't, but I'm just, I just want us to cross-reference this mind-boggling truth in one place. Um, if you can, turn with me to Ephesians chapter one or you can just listen to me read this. Ephesians chapter one. Paul is speaking about this very thing Jesus just spoke of. All the Father gives me will come to me. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians one. Uh, and we'll just read three verses, four verses, three through six says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hear this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Gosh, there are so many things I wanna draw out here, but let me just say this. When you come to Jesus, From a human perspective, here's what it's like. You're, you're going throughout your life and then all of a sudden the spirit of God's working on you and you begin to feel convicted over your sin and your rebellion against God and then you hear the gospel and you see the beauty of Jesus and you see what the blood of Jesus has done for you and you hear that there's this offer that if you come to Jesus, if you turn from your sin and you come to Jesus that you will be adopted as a son or daughter into God's family forever and so you repent Repent and you believe and you become a son or daughter of God a child of God you are born again that's what it is from a human perspective and that is absolutely valid that's what the Bible says it says you must repent and believe in Jesus and that is beautiful but in in John chapter six and in Ephesians chapter one they actually give us what salvation looks like from God's perspective Okay, we just summed up what it looks like from our perspective, but from God's perspective, from God's perspective, I want you to know what salvation looks like. Now this is mind blowing, but but stick with me. Did you know that God exists as a Trinity? There's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have existed forever in eternity past. And they have this love relationship where they are constantly in love and fellowship and they are enjoying one another's presence. That's been going on forever before time began, eternity passed. And then this love relationship overflowed. And the father said, Do you know what? I love my son so much that I want to give a gift to my son. I want to give a gift, a love gift. I love my son. I wanna give my son a gift as is in the heart of parents when they love to give gifts to their children. It's, it was my daughter's uh, first birthday. Um, just was it yesterday on Thursday. There's just this thing in you that you just love celebrating and you wanna love and bless your children with gifts. And so God the father in eternity passes, I want to bless my son. I wanna give him a gift. And do you know what that gift is? Do you know what the gift the father wants to give to the son? You, Christians, the church, and that group together is called the bride of Christ. And in eternity past, the father said, I will predestine this gift. It will happen in love he predestined us for adoption to himself according to the purpose of his will for his glory he says i will choose and adopt this gift and in john 6 says i will give it to my son so salvation on an individual level is we have this life and this testimony and we come to jesus but from god's perspective the church of God, Christians are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. That's, it's unbelievable, it's beautiful. Now, that even extends the love of God when we are saved, yes, God loves us. But in that very act of saving us, he's actually loving his Son. As again, John 6, 37, all the Father gives me The father is giving his son us, believers, the church. And so one of the anchors that helps us in this season is just to know you began, before time began, even in the mind of God, you were in the father's hands and you were being prepared as a gift to be given to the son. That is mind-blowing, And Jesus is saying in this context where people are rejecting him, where the disciples may be fearing what's gonna happen to Jesus, to his kingdom, to his people, when you may be fearing right now in this world we're living in with all the things going on, what's gonna happen to the church? What's gonna happen to Christianity in America? What's gonna happen to reality carp? Do you know what Jesus says? Hey, all that the father gives me will come to me. The church begins in the hands of the father. Now, what's amazing is we begin in the hands of the father, all the father gives me, but, but then what happens? Well, then we get handed to the hands of Jesus. And, and the second truth that Jesus covers in verse 38 is this. You, Christian, were bought by the hands of the son. You began in the hands of the father. And then when Jesus came, he bought you, he purchased you with his own hands. Look with me at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came not to do his own will, but to do the will of his father. And what is the will of the father? Well, the will of the father is to have this church, the people of God given to Jesus. The will of the father for Jesus is that he would live a perfect life and he would end his life as a perfect sacrifice And the night before Jesus was crucified, remember, as the perfect human was in the garden of Gethsemane, agonizing, knowing that tomorrow he would drink the cup of the wrath of God. He prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, I don't wanna be receiving the wrath i don't want to experience the wrath of god i don't want to experience any kind of separation or to experience this human sense of being forsaken by god he knew that was coming and he willingly came to lay down his life but he prayed lord not my will but your will be done not my will, but your will be done. In verse 38, when it's speaking, he's not doing his own will, but the will of the father. He's speaking of his sacrificial death on the cross. And he came to do the will of the father. He came to willingly lay down his perfect life and to drink the cup and to have his hands outstretched on a Roman cross and have nails driven through them and nails driven through his feet and a crown of thorns be placed. And he hung there for three hours and he experienced the perfect, holy wrath of God for sinners and the very hands that were pierced. It pleased God for him to be offered as a sacrifice. And I want us just to read Isaiah 53 as a reminder of this, a single verse. We read it on Easter, Isaiah fifty-three ten. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Jesus came to do the will of the Father and he came to lay down, to willingly lay down his life. Again, this was the son of God saying, no one takes my life, I lay it down on my own accord. And he came to give his life, to to do the will of the Father, to be crushed under the wrath of God for sinners. That whoever would trust in Jesus would be rescued, would not receive the wrath, but would receive punishment, would not um, be punished for their sins, but would become the righteousness of God. And so Christian, in the midst of this crazy world, and there's much suffering and injustice and anguish and brokenness remember first you began in the father's hands and secondly you were purchased by the very bloody hands of your savior jesus jesus is saying i came to do the father's will and he did it he did it he did his father's will He really came 2,000 years ago. He really lived a perfect life. He really accomplished the will of God and he really purchased the bride that would be his forever. And so we began in the father's hands and we were bought by the hands of the son and the third truth, and this one truly is, this is one that we must cling to for comfort in these days. The third truth we see in our text is this. You are now in the firm grip of Jesus. You are in the firm grip of Jesus. Look with me at verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life by definition is eternal life. If you believed in Jesus, you are in the hands of the Father and when he looked out in the future and he chose you to be a gift for his son, then you were purchased by the hands of Jesus on the cross and now you are in the grip of Jesus and you have eternal life. And eternal life means eternal life. Eternal life means it can't be taken. It means it doesn't have an ending date. It doesn't have an expiration date. You are saved by grace and you will be sustained by grace. You have eternal life. You, Christian, are in the grip of Jesus. I wanna read a couple other passages so you can hear how good this is. Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks this very concept. And it tells us, yes, Christian, you will experience suffering and and you will struggle with sin, but remember the saints who went before you. And so Hebrews 11 is just putting before us this great cloud of witnesses, but then Hebrews 12 tops it all off. And it says, but do you know what you need the most? Hebrews 12, chapter, Hebrews 12, uh, Chapter twelve verse one therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter. Do you know who got your faith started? Do you know who founded your faith? Do you know whose idea your faith was? It was God's. He's the founder of your faith. You began in his hands. You were purchased by Jesus. But not only that, he's the perfecter. He's the finisher of your faith. He will see you home. He will see you home. Remember, he saved you by grace when you were a wreck. He's not surprised by how slow we are to trust him and obey him. He saved us at our worst. If he saved us, then he will surely sustain us in our difficult days. He is the finisher of our faith. He will raise you up at the last day. Uh, another verse along these lines, Philippians 1, 6. I know we know this verse. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Hear this, remember this promise in this crazy world where you may be overwhelmed. You may be so discouraged by the brokenness, by your own weakness. Philippians 1, 6. Paul says, by the authority and power of the Holy Spirit speaking through him, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God started something, he finishes something. God who started your salvation will finish your salvation. God who began a good work will see it through. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. He will see it through. He will see you through. If he loved you enough to save you, he will love you enough to bring you home. You are one of his adopted sons and daughters. No one can take that from you. You are his. You are in the firm grip of Jesus. Now, the question often comes up, well, what about those who walk away from the Lord? And hear this, this, these truths do not apply to any who just claim that they're saved, who just claim that they're born again. That's not how it works. We see all of these people in, in John 6 walking with Jesus. And by the end, they all walk away. Well, we know that they were not truly walking with him. They didn't really love him. They just wanted something from him. And so we still experience that tragedy where people want something from Jesus. They think they can get a miracle or they can get some bread or they can get something from him, but they don't want the bread of life himself. Listen, that's not salvation. We know that. That's not a changed heart. A changed heart is a changed heart. It's a changed life. It's full of the spirit of God but for those who have been given from by the father to the son, who are purchased by the son to those who are his. Jesus says, I, it is the will of God that I will lose nothing of all he has given to me. If you are a Christian, you are in the firm grip of Jesus. Just one more passage This is just so good. Normally I'd save this for second set, you know, right, right when we're getting ready to just sing and I would just read it with all my heart. But it's good now too. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. We know this verse. It begins, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Hear this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those two words, he also, is like a, they're like the link in a chain. He also he also he also meaning if if you have been saved if you have been justified if you have put your trust in Jesus you will be glorified as certain as your sins have been forgiven you will see Jesus face to face that is certain But you may wonder, well, I don't know. What about the world? What about, what if I keep sinning? What if Satan himself just makes me a target? So Paul goes on to say, What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Pause. Remember, whose idea was your salvation? Well,. In your experience, it was yours, so to speak. You said, I need Jesus, I repent. But we know taking a step back, it was God's idea. You were a gift. God was for you. And if your salvation is that God is for you, God, if God is for you, who can be against you? God is for you. He will see you home. You are in his grip. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Pause, coronavirus? What if we can't meet, church? What if we could never meet ever again? What does that mean for your salvation? Let me tell you. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You began in the hands of your father in eternity past. You were purchased by the hands of Jesus on the cross. And right now you are in his firm grip and you will See him again. And so, you know, some of you may be asking. Some of you haven't trusted in Jesus. Some of you are wondering, what if I'm I'm not one of the ones? What if I don't believe? What if God rejects me? What if he didn't choose me? Well, do you know what Jesus says to you in our text? All the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes Whoever comes. If you're listening to me, you qualify as a whoever. If you're concerned, I don't know if if this is me. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if there's hope for me. Jesus says, come. In a few verses before that, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes shall not hunger and whoever believes shall never thirst. A few chapters before this, in John 3 16, Jesus says th- these very words God so loved the world, he loves you. If you're in the world, you're loved by God. And so he gave his only son, that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. If you are hearing my words and your soul is not settled, come to Jesus believe in Jesus, turn from your wicked ways and you're thinking that you know better, you don't, but God loves you and he has given his son that if you would trust in him, if you would come to him, you would not perish. You would be forgiven of your sin and you will rise on the last day be given a new body and live forever in his kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth with not even the possibility of sin or suffering anymore. If you are hearing my voice and you are not sure where you stand with God, come, come, come to Jesus. He loves you. Come and believe. And the application for those of you who know Jesus, who trust in him, Verse 40 tells us really what our posture should be. Everyone, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, looks on the Son. This is actually a reference to that story in Numbers when the people of God were rebelling in the wilderness and God judged them as they didn't trust him. And he sent snakes, poisonous snakes. And people were beginning to get bitten and they were, they were dying. And Moses prayed and God told Moses, Moses, take a, take a bronze serpent, this, this statue and raise it up on a pole. And everyone who looks at that snake on the pole that was lifted up, everyone who looks will be saved. And John's picking up that imagery. Everyone who looks on the sun. Now, that word looks is a present active verb. It's not everyone who looked on the sun is fine. It's not if you're a Christian, you believed in Jesus, you know, you're good. No, it's everyone who looks. And so Christian, what does that mean for you? It means, what does this text mean for you? What do these promises mean for you? It means you are to keep looking at the sun. Keep looking and keep looking at the sun. Keep looking. Don't stop looking when the world is breaking and crumbling. Don't stop looking at the sun. Don't stop looking at what he has done for you on the cross. Don't stop looking at his promises that you are in his grip and he will bring you home. Don't stop looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So spirit of God, I ask, I plead with you, Lord, help us look at Jesus. Lord, I'm mindful in verse 36, these people saw Jesus with their physical eyes, but they did not believe. Spirit of God, I ask that you would overcome unbelief of any who is hearing your word. Would you overcome? Would you let the eyes of their hearts see? Remove the blindness? Would they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus as he was crucified? As he's seated the right hand of God, would they see the beauty of Jesus? Lord, would you move them to come and trust in Jesus? And for the rest of us, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on the sun. Keep our eyes fixed on the sun. Yes, Lord, we are being slaughtered all day long. That's what it feels like right now. But we know you have conquered, you have overcome and you will come again and you will bring us home we can bank those promises to be true so keep our eyes fixed on jesus keep our faith and our hope on jesus and we know the day is coming when we will literally see you face to face until that day holy spirit keep us looking to jesus Thank you that we began in the Father's hands and the hands of the Son purchased us and now we are in the firm grip of the Son and the Spirit of God as a down payment is in us. Holy Spirit, keep us looking at Jesus. Amen.